0: Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. February 1st, 2021, Monday morning when God hides himself. Brenda, Karen, Corey, Christy, Glenn, Debbie, thank you for being a part of this each and every morning gathering together. I need to talk to you today. I need to speak with you plainly, and maybe not so plainly. And I'm going to borrow the stories of four Baptist preachers, Martin Luther King Jr., Chinese pastor Witness Lee, Brooklyn pastor Gardner C. Taylor, and Dallas pastor George W. Truett. I could just as easily use people of the apostolic faith, lift characters from the Bible, but I'm going to use these four and I think my reasoning will be revealed when God hides himself. We need to talk about it. James, Deanna, I hope you enjoy this today. Thank you for being a part. You know the drill. Follow the page, like the page, share the page. Our 21 days of prayer have just concluded. Hope it was a blessing to you and I hope it continues forward. Hope you've grown from this. Now we're back in the regular weekday cycles of morning devotions, Monday through Friday, where I sort of let my mind wander into other things. And I do thank you for making this truly an amazing time for each of us. You make today, you make each and every day, and thank you for being a part of this. Truly, the needs are great this Monday, February the 1st. So many needs. February 1, a significant day in our nation's history on this day. President Lincoln signed the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, formally ending slavery in the United States. That amendment would then go on to the states for ratification. Yes, the Emancipation Proclamation had been passed two years prior, but it was more aspirational. A great civil war had was still being waged and not yet been won. That 13th Amendment made its way through the House and Senate prior to the war being over. Lee had not yet surrendered. Grant had won at Vicksburg. Sherman had left Atlanta in flames and began his march to the sea, effectively cutting off the Deep South. Victory was in sight, and so the cancer at the heart of the United States Constitution was finally addressed. Article 1, Section 2, that inferred the right to own slaves found in the so-called 3 fifths Compromise. In 1864, the bill began to wind its way through the House and Senate. By January the 31st of 1865, it was done. And on this day, February 1, 156 years ago, the great emancipator signed it, beginning the process of freedom. So February 1 was named National Freedom Day. And eventually the entire month of February became known as Black History Month. Slavery was the deepest stain on our nation's history, put within the comp- uh, within the U.S. Constitution in that compromise, resting there like a time bomb until we'll explore, explode fourscore and seven years later or thereabouts. I'd like to say racism is no more. I'd like to say Martin Luther King's dream of people no longer being judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I'd like to say that dream is fulfilled. It's not. In fact, recent events suggest that dream seems farther away from fulfillment than the day that he spoke it. Now, until the day, until the day we look through the eyes of Christ and see every tribe, kindred, tongue and nation before his throne, red, yellow, black and white, all precious in his sight, we're not going to be finished with this age old struggle. When I was studying for yesterday's message, misplaced fear, I happened on a verse in Isaiah eight. It was it was not congruent with what I felt then, and so I tucked it away and didn't thinking I did not think that it would come back so soon. But it just stayed on my heart all day yesterday, last night. It was found in. Isaiah 8, 17, where the prophet said that God, God, you're hiding your face from Judah. You're hiding your face from your people. It's a common enough theme that 40 chapters later in Isaiah, it's repeated. So in honor of National Freedom Day, Black History Month, I want to use a verse found in Isaiah 48. It's the same verse used by Dr. Martin Luther King when he preached in Montgomery, Alabama on December 4, 1955, on the eve of Rosa Parks refusing to give up her seat on a bus, and so began one of the most notable chapters of civil rights history. People think today of Dr. King as a great civil rights leader, a great public speaker, a martyr for the cause, but those of us who minister, we know he was a preacher. and We read his messages today, and we can see a man who wrestled with some deeper questions in scripture, like where is God in the midst of injustice? What King called the awful silence of heaven or the verse he read some years ago. And I want to borrow today, Isaiah 48, 15, verily thou art a God that hidest thyself. O God of Israel, the savior, when God hides himself. So thank you for being here, Estella, Rhonda, Tiffany, Taniel, Colleen, thank you. Thank you for being here. This is not a subject for the faint of heart. In fact, Chinese pastor witness lead, the student of Watchman Nee, he once did an informal survey and he wrote that he tested a number of churchgoers with this question. Have you ever noticed a statement in the Bible, a God who hides himself? Least said he made the discovery that scarcely any of God's children have ever realized that there is a verse, much less several verses that contain such an expression. And they don't really know the God who hides himself. They know him or want to know him as the almighty. They want to know him as uh, the gracious God of Calvary, full of compassion. But as the one who hides himself, he's unknown to them. Sort of like Paul standing on Mars Hill speaking about an altar he had found dedicated to the unknown God, the God who hides himself, is so unknown to many believers today, but not to men and women of faith down through the years. People of great faith have long since noticed that the God of light, the Father of lights, the one in whom there is no shadow of turnings, he often seems to dwell. In obscurity and thick clouds and darkness, first kings eight and twelve, the Lord has said he would dwell in thick darkness psalm ninety seven two clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Moses described his encounter with God in Deuteronomy five on the mountain in the midst of fire. He said, "I was there in clouds and thick darkness, and I heard the voice of God. It just seems that God delights at times in hiding himself, especially. When we need an answer and we're pursuit of an answer, a life goal, something that we've longed for, why is that? Why does God seem to hide himself? In a practical sense, flesh can't survive the glory of God. His pristine righteousness and majesty would take our breath away. He hides himself in cloud so that we can approach him. And only rarely do we catch glimpses of his true nature. Like Moses, we're permitted to see the after effects The other side of glory, it's enough. When you look back over your shoulder and you see the glory or the glory revealed in Jesus Christ was not nonstop glory from man's perspective. Time and again, Jesus hid himself frequently enough. His glory emerged and people caught a glimpse of who he really was. Never more than on the Mount of Transfiguration. But God hide himself, hides himself for other reasons. One is His character. He doesn't reveal himself to the casual observer, only to the one who seeks for him. They find him with all of their when they seek for him with all of their heart. We once did testimony services. Oh, does anybody remember testimony service? Deborah, Michelle, Maria, do you remember those times that we would just open up the service and anybody that wanted to get up, could stand and speak? And do you remember the collective groan that would sweep through the crowd when certain people got up? Yeah, we don't do that much anymore. We really have ourselves to blame, or at least those certain people that got up, because we stopped talking about what God had done for us, and we drifted into self-pity mode or self- aggrandizing mode or we just started accusing people and the only one that got glory it sure wasn't God in the midst of it oh but I've thought long I thought long and hard about what we should testify about for every one thing we know God has done he's concealed a thousand and one things he's hidden from us we simply don't know what he saved us from what he's protected us from, what he's kept us from. We don't know the unimaginable ways he has watched over us, catch a glimpse every now and then. I mean, think it's the contrast between our nature and God's nature. God conceals. That's what Solomon said. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's man's nature to try to search it out. But soon we're going to find that his ways are above ours. Thoughts are above ours. And he conceals himself. It's his character. Another reason God hides himself is our waning trust in him. I think in an ideal world, our trust in God would be ever growing, faith to faith, glory to glory. But in the real world, it's not. It ebbs and it flows. And we lapse time and again into trusting the arm of the flesh more than God. And it's our on again, off again walk with God where we lose sight of God. He hides himself. It's the fifth volume of the Chronicles of Narnia. It's called The Horse and the Boy. C.S. Lewis describes a boy named Shasta. He'd been taken a slave as a child, carried far from his homeland. Feels so forsaken all alone. In one of his loneliest spent moments, he's feeling sorry for himself walking down the road at dark. Tears are rolling down his cheeks. But something puts a stop to his self-pity, a sudden fright, a sense that someone or something was walking beside him. In the pitch dark, he could see nothing. And whatever was walking beside him, it was moving so quietly in the dark that he couldn't hear any sound, no footfalls. In fact, more times than once, Shasta thought, I'm just imagining this. I'm letting my imagination get the best of me. And he would walk on and walk on until he again sensed an unseen companion walking in the darkness beside him. Finally, he could stand it no longer. And he asked in a whisper, who are you? And in a voice equally quiet, but large and deep, there was a response. I am the one who has waited long for you to speak. And that mysterious companion who was beside Shasta in his loneliness and darkness was none other than Aslan, the lion, the Christ-like figure of Narnia, the king above all kings is God there when I suffer? Is God with me in the darkness? He's there, but quite often he's hiding from us, waiting on us to speak. Here's another awful fact about God hiding himself. God hides himself because man is so good at hiding from himself. We run from God and we hide from him. We avoid him and ignore him. And when we need him, It takes a while for us to come out of hiding where we reveal ourselves so that he can reveal himself. In fact, in Isaiah 8 and Isaiah 48, the description of the God who hides himself in the context of Judah and Israel. It's when they walked from God, that it was man who had hidden from God. We we read of their disappointment with God. Where is God when I need him the most? Reminds me of Elijah, a man said that James said had like passions as we are. It was on Mount Carmel. God displayed his power. But away from that mountaintop experience, Elijah didn't know how to relate to God. God, are you there? Do you even care? You know the story, lay under a juniper tree in total depression. Angel had to come and cook a meal and give him strength. And he goes back to the mountain, back to the mountain where a covenant had been given to Israel, where Moses had encountered God. And there Elijah waits on God. You see, Elijah knew God wanted to come out of hiding, but God wanted Elijah to know him differently than he did. So a strong wind comes, but Elijah says, God, that's not you. An earthquake comes and Elijah again realizes, God, that's not you. Fire rages on the mountain reminiscent of Carmel. Elijah said, God, that's not you. And pleased with his servant's response, there came a still small voice. One translation says a divine whisper. And Elijah said, God, I perceive you're not in the wind and the earthquake and the fire. It's the whisper that I need to train my ear to hear. When God hides himself and you can't see him, that means he's whispering. And he's waiting for those who have an ear to hear to hear. What did he whisper to Elijah? You're not alone. I got 7,000 who have not bowed a knee to Baal. So concealed was God's work that not even the great prophet knew about it. God is up to something. He's up to something. Well, I think that's the message for today. He is up to something. Wilman, Karen, and Donna, Trenton, I believe God is up to something in our day. But he's the God who hides himself and we're not going to see it until he wishes it for it to be seen. But we will hear about it first. That's the message of hope. Even when I don't see it, he's working. He never stops. Beyond my comprehension, my understanding behind thick clouds of darkness, God is at work. Last month, I came across a small, attractive set of bound books of Gardner C. Taylor, highlighting this great preacher's ministry. If you study the civil rights movement, you're going to know of him. He was a mentor to Martin Luther King Jr. Born in 1918 in Baton Rouge, he was a prodigy behind the pulpit. By the age of 30, he was leading the second largest Baptist congregation in Brooklyn uh, or in the United States, located in Brooklyn. Some 8,000 members at the time. He was called the Dean of American Preachers, considered one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. In this collection of writings, radio messages, sermons, I found an address he gave. I love the title, A Personal Word at Evening. He described that passage in Revelation where the wounded Christ, with nail-scarred hands, opened the book. And he noted that from the wounds... From Christ's authenticity came an authority that he could open the book. That with authenticity and with vulnerability comes authority. Now, that's a subject completely unto itself. But what I found intriguing was Taylor starts plowing deep ground when he speaks of people he knew very intimately who encountered the God who hid himself. A fellow New York preacher at Riverside, Harry Emerson Fosdick, one of the most renowned men of his day. What was not known was that Fosdick spent three months in an Elmira mental institution with a complete nervous breakdown. He didn't hide it. In fact, later he would say without that experience, he could have never written the book, The Meaning of Prayer, which has been a classic throughout the world. Martin Luther King Jr., whom Taylor mentored, he said they were often together. They traveled together. They vacationed together. He said, but... Even in Martin Luther King's lighter moments, there was a brooding melancholy that draped itself around King, the God who hides himself. Or George Truett. only a sentence or two in Gardner Taylor's book. Truett was the pastor, first Baptist Dallas for nearly 50 years. But Taylor said he lived under a shadow. He only mentions it in a few words, but I feel it's worthy of greater mention. And I need to tell you a story about George Truett. Now, George Truett was such a magnetic speaker. He once stood at the steps of the U.S. Capitol, preached for 90 minutes. Supreme Court justices, ambassadors, senators and congressmen stood enraptured by his speech. But what forged this man was an experience that he called the Valley of the Shadow. Until that moment, nobody could doubt Truett's brilliance, his commanding presence, his overarching personality, great sense of humor, but from the moment of the shadow, he was a changed man. A longtime member of his church was the Dallas Police Chief, a former captain in the Texas Rangers. That man invited the preacher to go bird hunting in Johnson County, south of DFW. After a successful quail hunt, the preacher was following his host back to the vehicle's he shifted his shotgun from one arm to the next and the weapon discharged, and a full load of birdshot struck his friend in the back of the leg. The wound of the police chief was not bad, didn't seem life-threatening, he even made light of it. But Truett, overcome with regret, sensed something serious in the moment. When they finally got to the hospital a few hours later, the doctors assured assured Truett, everything's going to be okay with your friend, everything's going to be Okay. But he paced the floor day and night for a week until clouds of anxiety and self-condemnation just hovered over him. That Wednesday night, a heartbroken pastor asked that his congregation would pray for their fellow member, for the recovery of their fellow member. The congregation was sort of mystified. They didn't understand the angst and the anguish of George Truett. But that very night, J.C. Arnold, police chief, died from a heart attack, a complication of the wound. The entire city was shot. And that night, George Truett decided he would never preach again. He was beyond consolation. He told his wife that he felt the blood of his friend stained his character and he was going to leave the ministry. But that night she stood by her husband's side. She later recounted as he plowed through the book of Job and he went through the Psalms looking for a word, any word to She fell asleep, and finally he fell asleep, quoting a text in Psalm 31, my times are in thy hand. Sometime in the night, he later told his family that the Lord came to him three times in a dream and said, you belong to yourself before now, but now you belong to me. And it was a turning place in his life. He called it the valley of the shadow experience, where when God seemed so far away for days, Nights and days when he was pacing uh, that that night in a dream, he gained a new direction. He would speak to those in sorrow. He would speak to those in trouble. His humor largely disappeared and compassion appeared. His pride vanished and a sense of worthlessness and humility showed up in George Truett and an authenticity and authority. Now, maybe you can see why I use four ministers of a different faith to speak to you, because sometimes it's easier to see in others what we hide from in ourselves. And here's something you and I need to fully grasp as much as we can. At the heart of our faith is a cross. And on that cross hung the Lord and Savior, and the one who said, follow me, and the one who said, I'm your example that each and every follower of Jesus Christ will have dark hours of the soul when God hides himself. And at some point, you too will experience a crown of thorns and you too will cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some great overwhelming need will crush you. Some difficult situation will confront you. But from the fresh glow of a mountaintop experience that kept you in the good days, It's going to fade in the light of that night. But the sunshine of his presence will come through the clouds. And you will say with great believers before you, God, you've hidden yourself from me. And in that moment, you're going to learn something. You're going to learn something that he's never closer to you. He's whispering and walking beside you in the dark. And from that valley experience will come something that will change your life. Hear me carefully. When God hides himself, start looking for great change in your life. That's why, that's why Ryan, Bonnie, Carlesia, Tricia, Sandra, that's why we are told to glory in the cross. Because in the darkest moments of our lives, when God seems to have forsaken us, When he seems to hide himself, that's the moment of transformation and great change will come to you. Don't you need that? Don't I need that in this hour, in this very moment? When dreams of yesteryear have fallen by the wayside, when shame, guilt, regret, condemnation are whispering to us. When more people than we can count have left us for the great beyond. There is a great character now being forged, and a greater miracle shall soon appear. And the clouds are going rep- to part one day, and they're going to reveal a changed you. And you will carry that hidden God away in your heart like warm embers, and you're going to know that he is there. He is there more when he seems to not be there. Listen for that whisper them for that whisper. Perhaps you know somebody that's going through a deep trial and perhaps a happy tune and a merry song is just not gonna get them through that valley of the shadow of death. Why don't you share this with them? Either share this just by clicking the share button or why don't you share it personally? Talk to them about it. And maybe the Lord will use you to help them see that there's many, 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 many poor people serving God with all of their heart. God bless you. Thank you for being here with us on the Monday morning, February 1st. Let it be Freedom Day. Step out from the idea that God is not on your side and God is not with you and for you and know that he is as close as the mention of his name. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of this today and may the Lord be with you the rest of today. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.